and welcome back to another episode of Sport Politique, the podcast where sports and politics come together over their mutual interest of inciting riots. I am Daniel Fainley, your host, and with me today is my co-host, JP, John Paul DeFord. JP, how you doing? I'm doing well, and yourself? Ah, I'm doing all right. It's pretty good. I mean, my my football team is not doing well, but hey, what are they? So speaking of uh, sports, uh, JP, I like to always ask my um, guests their first time on here if they have any favorite sports, favorite teams, athletes. So uh, JP, tell us a little bit about your sports fandom. Well, I'm a diehard uh, Louisiana football guy, so um, was born there and raised in other parts of the country. You know, it's LSU on Saturday, Saints on Sunday. And liver failure by Monday. Right, exactly. It's uh, it's it's definitely you know it's those they keep you interested. Except for that uh, LSU game, we got blown out pretty pretty bad against Tennessee this weekend. But usually, I mean, they both the Saints and the uh, Tigers do a really good job of making sure that you don't leave by the fourth quarter too early. They they keep you interested, which I like. But also, it'd be nice to see some of those closer games go our way. But yeah, it, it makes it fun and weeds out the true fans from the. Uh, the bandwagon folk, but uh, football is probably my main sport that I really follow. Um, rugby, I really enjoy. Um, really gotten into the international game. I mean, wish the United States had a better, better side. It would be a lot easier if we weren't bankrupt. Well, that too. I mean, if it wasn't run by you know people who usually run rugby stuff, who yeah run things <laughs> like rugby clubs in the United States and actually buy a very well i mean it's not like there's any other formats that we can look at or you know hire other people from other people that live on this planet that have run a successful rugby union at all or maybe look at their blueprint and what they did try to replicate that. yeah no we can just get guys from other sports or you know just get some guys that work in finance it's that simple right yeah exactly <laughs> yeah i mean be fine yeah you can run the rugby union but also do your full-time job at the same time too and get yeah, the yeah, same yeah. interests mm-hmm. um i do follow a little bit of soccer um depending on um more like the world cup play than i would say um just i, I don't even know what it's called but um just I'll, I'll follow the world cup for a little bit but that's about it especially the women's side because you know usa kicks ass and Man, mm-hmm. I'll you know I'll root for Germany because it's where my half my family came from. So for me, like since I'm a Notre Dame football fan, I I I actually have a I know like in college football you always have like uh, like secondary and tertiary favorite teams in a way, and LSU is definitely one of those like secondary favorite teams for me just because of for the Tigers I always kind of just like the absolute intensity and who doesn't like a uh, neck when that's being played yeah when they can play it <laughs> uh for those of you listeners who don't know what neck is just type up lsu band neck and you'll see what we're talking about just make sure to do it just make sure you don't put it on too loud uh around children or make sure your bluetooth speakers disconnect it yeah yeah um but since they, uh, but since Brian Kelly have left, I want not necessarily nothing but bad things to happen to the Tigers. I just want nothing but bad things to happen to Brian Kelly. So that just is compounding into what's going on with the uh, with the Tigers there. So sorry, LSU fans. 
as for like what you were mentioning for rugby, yeah, I'm I'm actually gotten a lot more into rugby. I know the women's uh, World Cup has just started, and even though it's not as I wouldn't necessarily say not as competitive, it's just that the competition is not as deep, right? Like for the men's World Cup, you might have maybe six or seven teams depending on the year five to seven teams of like who can compete for the for the trophy right but for women's rugby it's just like england's on top then like there's a good chunk down to number two which would be like france and new zealand but and then below just those three teams there's even a further drop off there my i guess if i had to pick a favorite um team for rugby i'd have to go with ireland uh, I have soft spots for other teams, but basically just anybody who's playing uh, England, I just want to see England lose. My, I guess my pro team there would be Munster, just because when I first got into rugby, they were pretty good, right? And part of my family that is Irish originated from there in that county. And then, or I'm sorry, that uh, not county, but uh, province. And then uh, let's see here for soccer. I've said on this podcast before, not the biggest soccer fan, but I guess if I had to pick a team, it would be Chivas because, and also um, I guess maybe possibly Durango, which is the local team here that may get up to uh, division one or whatever the top is for Liga MX. But um, speaking about soccer, JP, um, how do you feel about soccer just outside of the world cup generally? Um, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a pretty interesting sport. I just, I wish I knew more or took time to understand some of the like nuances of things. And I've been trying to watch a little bit more. And especially since we have a major league soccer team here and I'm just an hour away from where I live to go check it out. But I mean, it hasn't been a big drive to get down there to go see it. Or, I mean, the atmosphere looks really cool. And I think that's one thing that I, I mean, I guess I appreciate about like, I mean, especially college football compared to professional football that the, mm-hmm. the people are fans of this team, like are really good fans. Like, like they're, they're in it. Like they, they, there's all sorts of tradition and things that go with it. Yeah. It's steeped in tradition that you don't see like in college football. It's so steeped. Like you said, like so steeped in mm-hmm. tradition. Uh, unlike you see in the NFL game, which is makes it a little bit more cold and not really standoffish would be the right it's, way. Yeah. More, um, professional right because it's it right yeah i mean i don't even wouldn't say professional it's just kind of like it, it's just very like i guess meets that consumer ish like product like all right you bought the product here's the product now you're done with the product as opposed to like all right well i can keep using this product over and over again where like college football kind of seems to have that like you have more like every time i've gone to a college football game you're always seeing people that seem to know each other really well and like you don't really see that in the NFL, or the tailgating in the NFL really isn't celebrated as it is with like college football. Um, but I, with but with soccer, it's just I mean I I would find it interesting, uh, an interesting sport. Just like the like mm-hmm. I know that a lot of people in America are like oh it's so slow and like you know we spend you know ninety minutes watching it end um, zero zero. I'm like that sounds boring and like. But just like watching just the different moves and the different things as far as like setting up the score and how difficult it is compared to like the United or like American football where it's you know, you can score a lot of points or Well, yeah, I think that it's it's kind of like when you look at American sports, right? The ones that are the most popular again are basketball, uh, American football, 
and then to a lesser extent hockey and baseball but again it's because it's like hey there's constant mm-hmm. scoring right or there's constant you know like some sort of like some sort of thing is going on while in soccer it like you said like it's really easy to or I, I should say maybe not really easy right but it's easier to play defense because you can just take like everybody in almost a space way okay let's just make a wall around right. the goal and it's and it makes it that much more difficult to set things up. I also think um, part of why the U.S. doesn't like soccer is it just doesn't it just has a lack of violence to it, right? Like we seem to like a lot of contact heavy sports. I mean, and even though I know like like let's face it, like even though it's like in in basketball, like anybody who's played the sport, especially down in the post, realize it can mm-hmm. get physical, right? And let's face it, the most popular thing about baseball outside of like you know home runs is like. Uh oh, here comes a brawl. <laughs> like the bench is clear. Like that's when things like when people are like, yes, this is the best part of it. And I'm like, oh, like why don't we just bring back gladiators? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. But I mean, but like you would think that rugby would be a little bit more popular here in the states. I mean, with like just like the constant go. And I know that it has a lot to do with you know, especially like with rugby's just slow ability to go professional and not instantly amateur. Yeah, I think that was it. Was that because again, like I know we're I know we're talking about so- I know this episode's about soccer, but we're going off on other tangents here. But I think for rugby, it does go, and we'll look at this more in depth. Is mm-hmm. like the classism within rugby on a different episode, and also basically like and part of the reason why um, the United States shifted to American football than to rugby was just because of rugby did not become a professional sport really until like 1995. And for many, you know, for many American athletes, like, well, I could just play this sport where I can get concussions and not get paid, or I could go over to this sport and get concussions and get paid. Right. That's why I kind of gravitate over there. But kind of speaking of things that kind of happened in the past as well, JP, how do you feel about the idea of having traditions for tradition's sake? I don't know. I, I, I enjoy having like something that ties you to other people and ties you back to where things are it's like I don't know, for me that's that's important to me and i mean that's why i stick with the roman catholic church because there are traditions that i like to follow because <laughs> of that and it's i mean i know some of them have changed over times but i don't know like yeah there's there are the traditions of when we go to church instead of saying and also with you yeah. it goes to end with your spirit and there's that john mulaney joke which is like what Huh? We changed this and nobody told me. Right. And then you feel like the you feel like the you feel like the dick in church, like, ah, everyone here now realizes they're gonna be judging me. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, I, I like it. I, like as far as just tying things. And I, I understand that some things need to change over time, just I mean, and things will change. Or you could add to the tradition if something happens to like make it different. And it's I don't know, it's it just ties people together like you know that's like that's the chant my dad did my this chant my grandfather did at you know the lsu game that's you know what the chant i'm going to do <laughs> and and the chance i'm going to do is i'm going to and the thing that i'm going to do at this lsu game is scream at this 10 year old fan that's wearing uh an auburn shirt until that 10 year old child cries <laughs> yeah because they needed to know who the real tigers are it just it just means more in the SEC to hurl fan abuse right. at one another. Yes. Um, I would have to agree with you on traditionalism. Like I do, I do agree with you. Yeah, traditions are important, and 
speaking of this as, uh, you know, somebody who kind of looks at this from a sociological perspective, right? Mm-hmm. It is important for us as a species to have these traditions and this and that, but nothing really grinds my gear more than regressive traditions and traditions that are like, well, why are we doing this? Cause we've always done this, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I had that here in my first year when I taught in Mexico, like I would ask um, students, like when we were doing our model, you like, well, why are we doing this? Or why are we doing it like this? And like, well, that's how we've always done it. And I'm like, well, we've always had slavery for a very long time. Why don't we go back to that? Why don't we just sell people to raise money for this? And like, well, that's not it. Right, but what are, what, what are you saying? What are you saying? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to be doing this by looking through the lens of the 2009 Ireland versus France soccer match um, or World Cup kind of qualifying match that was also known as the Hand of Frog. So, JP, I'm going to send you a video link here. And I want you to uh, watch this clip and kind of narrate this clip to, to the listeners. Right. Um, go ahead when you open that up to make sure to turn the volume down so we don't get any weird playback or anything. But um, just go ahead and just kind of na- you don't need to go ahead and watch through all of it. You can just kind of just watch it uh, like a minute or so or even less than a minute and just kind of get a sense of, you know, what is um, what's going on here. OK. OK. It looks like a kick at the goal. The line of people and they move towards the goal. And then kicks, goes header in. Oh, guy puts his hand and another hand. He saved it from going out of bounds. So for the listener, I I will put up this video clip on the website so you can watch this. But what JP is, is seeing here is basically a French player uh, by the name of Terry Henry just basically just putting his hand out and just slapping the ball into the goal, right? Right. Well, it looks like there was two handballs, like the one that, I mean, stopped, like, the off the original kick, so the guy got it and kind of knocked it down. And then the second one saved it from going out of bounds and brought it back in. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that, how he juggles it, where he kind of stops it once and then he, he kind of stops it and then just kind of gives a little slap to it a second time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if you also didn't catch this too, JP, you will also notice that they missed an offsides call on that play. Correct. Not only was that hand... And would you say that handball was pretty obvious? Yeah. Like, not only when they show you, like, the close-up of it, but even from, like, the wide-out, you know, way of looking at it. And this this match was important because this basically decided who would make the 2010 World Cup between France and Ireland. Mm-hmm. Terry Henry was the offending French player, right? And this is what he had to say about the handball. Yes, there was hand, but I'm not the referee. Toto, who was another French player, was going for the front. I was behind two Irishmen. The ball ricocheted and hit my hand. Of course, I continued to play. The referee did not whistle, hand, but I couldn't say there wasn't hand. And I don't know about you, JP, but that's probably the most rugby defense of anything out there where it's like, the ref didn't see me cheat, so... Whatever. <laughs> no, I I, 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 I can definitely, I would say I've used that argument several times before in my life, <laughs> playing rugby, um, and would agree with that. I mean, as an Irish fan, I would not be happy with that person. <laughs> like, I would want to put my hands on him. 
<laughs> and that's the thing that, like, clearly this is wrong. What Henry did was he clearly cheated. The The officials should have either stopped the match or this or that, right? But that's not what happened. What the nope. referee, Martin Hansen, who is Swedish, this is what he had to say of the handball. Quote, I cannot comment on the game itself, but life must go on. I will ride this storm out as well. And later, Hansen would say this at, like, during the 2010 World Cup final. Quote, after the game, we were sitting in the dressing room and I cried. I realized what a mistake it was. Like we said, like blatant cheating, right? So JP, if you were in charge of FIFA, right? The International Federation of Association Football, how would you fix this blatant cheating? Well, I guess my first question is, I mean, just, I mean, when you're playing on this level, the stage, I mean, were they doing video reviews at that point? Not at this time. They weren't doing video reviews at this time. I mean, if they weren't doing video reviews, like, I would definitely have to, because of the rules, I would say it have to let that play. Yep. But then, I don't know, I guess I would, like, hate to come down on the referee uh, on this one, but, I mean, that's where I would have to put it. I mean, that, that was your job to make sure that that didn't happen or, and to... Look at that. And I understand that they can't be everywhere at once. And trust me, I've been on my fair share end of some bad calls. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them. And and it's not only just the referee, but there's also line judges as well who could be like, hey, no, I saw, you know, this guy slap the ball into the goal. So it's not just the one guy, Hanson, here. It was the whole crew that kind of let it all down. Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think if I were the head of FIFA, I don't think those guys would be refing at that level if you can't. I mean, it, it just the way his body was, and the way that the ball was going, and where and how it just miraculously came back into the other play. Yeah, just how physics work. Right. Like, even like if I weren't trained on how to perfect, like referee a soccer match, I would know that like you can't touch the ball with your hand, and his foot was down there, the ball just came back in, but his hands are in this area. I'm like, I would say that was the handball. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like there's a Bruder film, right? It's mm. like, it's back and to the left, right? Like right. this, where's the magic bullet, right? But, exactly. Um, JP, you would be wrong because the FIFA response to any type of controversy is to just act like nothing happened and just move move right along. Oh, the Roger Goodell effect. <laughs> I, I would say it's pretty much the effect of almost any major sports league or any major, like, corporation or entity. So, again... The Football Association of Ireland filed a formal complaint and asked to replay the match. FIFA said no. And when the um, the FAI asked the French team to replay, they declined agreeing with FIFA's ruling because, again, it's like, well, if we replay, then we might lose our spot in the World Cup. Right. right. Or players might get hurt or it's an extra game. I mean, even though soccer's not as physical as, say, some of the other sports we've talked about, I mean, it's still an exhausting game. Oh, yeah. Like, I know here in, in Mexico, because, again, like, you know, how much bigger soccer is compared to, um, you know, compared to other sports. And here it's, you. I mean, it's it's an endurance test, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I had a few students who would play on a developmental team for a pro side, right? So it would be, like, the equivalent of, like, for uh, Americans to try and understand this, it would be like, imagine if college sports weren't really a thing in the United States. And let's just say like the New Orleans Saints just had like, yeah, this is our junior team. 
And when they become old enough, they play for the Saints. Mm-hmm. So that's what they were, and they are just fit, right? Like they just like I've watched them play like a couple pickup games with their friends, and like, oh god, it's been forty five minutes, and you're just you're not tired. <laughs> so it's yeah, like you said, it's it's that. But when asked of the possibility of using video referees, like in other sports, right? Like we talk mm-hmm. about in like you see it all the time in. Um, in uh, baseball, you see it in basketball, you see it in the NFL a lot. Pretty much almost every sport has this, right? But at the time, soccer didn't. Step Blatter, who is the president of FIFA, had this to say, quote, with technology, you have to stop a match. You have to look at cameras. We have to maintain the human face of football and not go into technology. So, JP, what do you think about this quote? About like, you know, we saw that there was blatant cheating and... We should not look into video referees as a way to fix this stuff. I mean, on one side, I agree with him in the sense of like, this is, and I get where you're going with the traditionalist part of things of like, this is how it's been done and stuff like that. And, and I, I like, I, I guess I get that because I, I kind of think of the same way. I kind of miss the old like college football rankings, like to decide who was going to be in the national championship because it always left you like each year wondering like oh god what would have been like had someone 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 so met up in the championship game like and you just you're like left just like thinking about that and it makes it more exciting like what are they going to be like next year and just like hoping those two teams like match up even though it's not going to be the same because it's not the same players from that year the same like run but Mm -hmm. with i mean but I also would much I would rather have a much cleaner or purer part of the game, and I know that the NFL struggled with that as far as like reviewing things. And as a Saints fan, you should know about this a lot about not getting good calls from officiating. Right, like reviewing pass interference calls after that uh, championship game that was like completely blown pass interference call. That would have been helpful. Yeah, for the listeners who don't know, um, JP is referring to, I believe, the, the 2018 NFC Championship game where a um, player for the Los Angeles Rams pretty much just tackled a wide receiver for the Saints. And the referee is standing about all of maybe like three meters away from it, like, like looking directly at it and like, no, nope, no penalty. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope, 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 nope. And then... And then, so then, you know, last week, you know, the Saints are playing the Vikings in London, and we get called for pass interference while the Vikings receiver is pulling on our guy's face mask. And I'm like, okay, that's not pass interference. This is pass interference. I'm like, what's pass interference? And that would have been nice for them to review, but they got rid of that. I, I believe, JP, pass interference is whichever makes Saints fans more upset. That's what pass interference <laughs> is. I, I, I would believe that. Yeah, it, yeah. The rule also applies to the Detroit Lions, I believe, and the Atlanta Falcons occasionally. Oh uh, no, that's roughing the passer. Oh yeah, that's roughing the passer for the Falcons. Or if, or if um you stare just at Tom, or if you make Tom Brady feel uncomfortable, that's a penalty. Right. Yeah, I'm surprised uh, Giselle hasn't gotten a flag yet. <laughs> um, but I mean, like. I know I always say this when I'm like watching sports. I think that rugby has it right with like the video challenges and they they put it on the big screen for everyone to see. You hear what the television ref and the ref or the sir on the uh, pitch is talking about. 
and what they're looking at and you hear the discussion going on between the two but it's completely transparent where especially with it, like us like or with american football it leaves that like that thought like well maybe this is rigged mm-hmm. maybe this and then you like and same thing with probably with soccer too it's like well maybe this is like rigged and i know mm-hmm. that there's certain things that can make or break a match but i mean when you have something this blatant that you could just like do and to make sure that you're given the best clean things and, and people make mistakes and yeah you know 100 years ago they didn't have that technology to do that but now we do have that technology so why aren't we using that to make sure that i mean we have these athletes performing at like such a high level and giving it their all but we can't just do these little things to fix it to like say all right you, we got the right call we got the call right and that you did everything right and this is what we're going to do Mm-hmm. And just for the listeners who are not familiar with rugby uh, video refereeing, what we mean by you're able to hear what they're talking is that the sound is piped through the stadium and for us as the listeners at home to be like, okay, let's see if let's see if this happened. The rule it's kind of similar to that of American football where it's like this is the ruling on the field and unless there's clear video evidence that says otherwise, the ruling will stand. Right. Uh, and again, it's really only used in rugby from what I see, usually three calls scoring opportunities. If there's any type of foul play where somebody's like punching somebody or, you know, like stomping on somebody's face or, you know, doing something blatantly illegal, or when it comes to that of player safety, right. Where it's like, Hey, we called a high tackle on this guy. Right. Cause in rugby, cause in rugby, for those of you who don't know, you cannot target basically the head and neck area when you make your initial contact and it, they, they might look that over to be like, okay, was this intentional? Was this, you know, what it's, it's similar to that of college rules for that of targeting in a way, right? Where it's like, was it this? Was it that? If it is, here's a yellow card. Here's a red card. There's no card on this play. It's just mm-hmm. freak occurrence. It happens. So here's what that happens. And I do agree that rugby, I think does have it the best way, but So this is why I want to talk about tradition, because we hear a lot about, you know, tradition in our politics and why we should not change things. But before we get into politics, we're going to take a quick break for ads. All right. So here's some ads. Hey, everyone. Future Daniel here. I realized this when I was editing that I didn't really cover what happened to France during their World Cup. And I want to let people know or know what happened for closure and everything when the french did arrive to the 2010 world cup in south africa their campaign was a complete failure Uh, they went on and lost all of their group stage matches they had a player that was sent home during pretty much a dispute during halftime of one of their matches the players boycotted training before their last game it was absolutely terrible. So there is a little bit of karma if you were hoping for that uh, towards the French team because, you know, things did not work out for them. But anyways, here's ads for real this time. back all right so 
me and JP, we're here talking about tradition and more or less the idea of traditionalism. So we've already kind of talked about this, JP, of what we feel about tradition and the idea of like, yes, tradition is good, but it should change over time. So I want to start with why tradition is important. And then we'll move on to like how tradition or how I should say more of like how traditionalism, right? This idea of we should just obey traditions no matter what is is hurting us, right, as a society. So traditions are good for three reasons. One, routines, and in this case, again, traditions can be soothing because it reduces stress. And this can lead to comfort, right? Like, I don't know about you, JP, but even for myself, I like having certain traditions of even when I get ready to watch um, sports, right? Like on every Sunday, I listen to soul music, right, before the Bears play because hey, I need to find some way to relax and put my mind at ease for the pain that's about to happen to me over th- over the next three hours and realize there are bigger things than this sport. <laughs> I don't know, like, what what would you say is your favorite tradition, JP? Oof, that's, it's, it's, it's a lot. I, I, like, it's almost bordering on OCD at some points. For me, it's, it's getting up in the morning, depending on what morning, you know, if it's, if it's Saturday morning, it's the tiger rag. And rolling out the flag and putting it up and then waiting around for game time to start and then and then you know switching over to my jersey watching my lsu tigers play and then if we win and then we're playing colin baton rouge as we roll the flag back up and put her away and you know dance and then you know if it's a gets a really good a team that we really hate then we're playing some neck <laughs> but for the saints it's a little bit more more serious it's you know because it's the team i really 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 follow the most but um get up in the morning and i got my saints playlist it's all saints songs you know starting with uh ying yang twins at halftime you know gotta stand up and get crunk flag out in the front of the yard throw on my uh saint sweater got my shorts on because refuse to put on uh actual pants i agree with you when when football is on i don't like dressing up like, even if it would be, like, right. me going over to a friend's house, I'd be like, no, 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 I'm wearing sweatpants. I don't care. It's football. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they're, they're shorts. I mean, because, like, they're going to be the same shorts or the same thing I'm going to wear when I go to a game. So, I try to make one game a year in a different stadium. Uh, this year, I'm not going to be able to do that just because of schedule conflicts and stuff but like that. But even though that itself, that's a tradition of you going to a, to a stadium every year, right? Mm-hmm. For- yeah. And so then it's, you know, get breakfast and and then about 20 minutes before the game time starts, I uh, fold up my first wife who passed away of cancer, who was also a Saints fan, and I fold up her jersey and then tuck it into my belt and carry that with me. And then I uh, throw on my jersey, whatever jersey they're going to be wearing that day on the field. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sit in the same spot, got my same beer koozie, and my NOLA gold rugby koozie, and watch my uh, Saints play and you know, cheer really hard and then roll up my flag. My wife thought she was going to do me a solid one morning. Yeah, it was the playoff. It was Drew Reese's last game, playoff game, and she she uh, thought she was going to you know be all nice and get up in the morning, and she took my flag oh, out no, no, and no, rolled no, no. it, put it up. I was just like, <laughs> no, 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 no. And she's like, well, why don't you just roll it up and put it back? I'm like, you don't understand. You already ruined it. There's... You, like you got all the, ju- the good juju out like from the last game. So like when I roll it back up, you know, if we lose, 
it's walking back to New Orleans by Fats Domino. Yep. But if we win, it's halftime. Yep. And we celebrate. I love it. I, of course, leave it to somebody from Louisiana who basically believes in voodoo and in, and in those types of superstition. And also who's a Catholic as well. So I can't be following that much. For me, I would have to say probably my favorite tradition was a, a little bit of a more simpler one. It was rugby, win or lose, shower beer. That was always my favorite tradition. Having a shower beer after every match. That was it. So that's kind of what it is, right? It's soothing, right? It releases stress. We know what we're doing. Yeah. Number two. Um, traditions, again, reinforce a sense of being, right? And that can connect with other people from ourselves. Like I say this as, you know, somebody who is, you know, a Bears fan and I'm obviously for you is, you know, kind of being like a transplant fan, right? Like, you know, there's not right. many Saints fans in Minnesota because for some reason, Minnesota, fa Minnesota fans have an irrational hatred towards the New Orleans Saints because they believe they caused... They caused Brett Favre to throw in a blatant interception in the 2009 NFC Championship game. Or, or Adrian Peterson, yeah, the fumble. Yeah, it's six all times. the Saints' fault for their, you know, for the uh, targeting and everything. Uh, I know my Vikings fans who are listening. Yeah, it's silly that you guys hate them so much. And but like for us being transplant fans, it's something to where like you know if somebody's walking by you like in like in the mall of the Amer like a mall of America, right, or, or elsewhere in Minnesota, and they just walk up to you and go, "Who that?" Yeah, you got to you got to say that. Like, you know, for me, like again, for uh, being like a like a Bears fan here in in Mexico, right? There's not a lot of us, so if I do see him, I'll go like you know, like bear down, and they'll go okay, you know, because they'll wonder what's going on. <laughs> or you know, like if I see like somebody, you know, like wearing Notre Dame stuff or whatever, right? Like it, it gives us this greater mm -hmm. sense of where we are. And lastly, traditions make us happy, right? Like you're hearing us laugh and reminisce about all these good stuff, so. Tradition in of itself is not bad, right? And that's kind of one thing I want to get across to the listeners, right? Is uh, it could be stressful though too. I mean, that that year that they won, or the Saints uh, won the Super Bowl. After that first game against the Cardinals in the playoff, I went to take my jersey off after the game, and a piece of paper fell off off of me, and I assume it fell off my shoulder. And so the rest of the playoff and Super Bowl, I watch the football game with a piece of paper <laughs> tucked in my jersey in my shoulder because I couldn't like I couldn't mess with it. Like I didn't know where it came from, but like I had this little piece of paper like just tucked in there. I think I still have that thing saved somewhere. Like, I, I I know like for superstitions these sound silly. I'm not usually the most superstitious type of guy, but I, I forgot about this one where I have a Notre Dame jersey, right? And I used to wear it when, when they would play. And I realized that, you know what? We would lose more games often than not than when I would wear the jersey. And then I went mm. back home with my wife to Iowa for a little bit. And I saw the jersey. I'm like, hey, I'm going to bring it down. And I forgot all about that. I believe that's the reason why Notre Dame lost to Marshall this year. So I'm sorry, every Notre Dame fan that is listening to this. <laughs> I am the sole reason why. It's not because Tommy Reese didn't realize, hey, maybe we should run the ball, right? It's solely my reason. It's also important to note that all traditions are invented. So some are obviously more recent than others, right? For example, uh, the State of the Union Address. It wasn't the ceremony that we think of it today, right? For most of the United States history, presidents just sent um, like letters to Congress, right, to fulfill their duty. And it wasn't until 1913 when Woodrow Wilson uh, addressed Congress in person, and now every president does so. 
so you know we can see this mm-hmm. tradition sometimes again it can be I, I kind of don't want to use the word silly in a way because you know obviously you know like you wearing the paper on your shoulder right hey it it was meaningful to you at the time right and i don't want to say it's mm-hmm. something silly as like you know having the state of the union address but sometimes you know it can be like not the most serious of things right that we speak of traditions it can range from right. winning a Super Bowl to, you know, this is how I, I as the president, think the country is doing. So there's magnitudes mm-hmm. to this. But not only that, but again, tradition now can also be used to hurt people. Um, and I've talked about this in a previous episode about what is known as the cult of tradition. That is a foundational block to fascism. Now, you notice how I said the cult of tradition and not just tradition by itself. From Umberto Eco, who wrote uh, the essay, Ur Fascism, quote, As a consequence of traditionalism, there is no advancement of learning. Truth has been already spelled out once and for all, and we can only keep interpreting its obscure message. And I want to highlight this because this type of traditionalism, I think, is very damaging, um, not just to the United States, but to everywhere. But we're going to focus on the U.S. here. So, JP, are there any traditions that you think that are pretty damaging or hurtful? It's kind of a hard one because I don't know. Like, I guess, I guess I would say, or especially here in the United States, our uh, the electoral college would be one that I, I agree say, entirely with that. For for those non-American uh, listeners, the electoral college is it's almost like a point system to how to decide the American president. It's not based on popular votes that you know pretty much every other democracy does, right? It's you need to win. Mm-hmm. It's whoever gets the most votes in this state get basically this amount of points. And once you hit a certain number of points, you become president. And JP, are you familiar for the reason why we have the Electoral College? It was to help give Southern states who had the lack of, or not as many voters or people that could vote at the time in their area compared to the slaves that they owned. And so they were they were allowed to cast the votes for their slaves who were on the time. I haven't heard that fans. interpretation, but I do know it was because of, at the beginning, when we think of democracy in the United States, it was a slow process because in the beginning, it was only basically white men who owned property, right? And we mean by property, we mean by land. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that like, once uh, we have that, of for votes like well we can't just let anybody vote for president so we need to come up with this point system and that's pretty much where we get the electoral college is that it's basically the fear of the mob right because that was something that the founding fathers and we're going to be talking about them a lot in this episode because they saw what was going on in the french revolution and they're like yeah we don't want to get guillotined so we gotta we gotta put a little (laughs) bit of brakes on this democracy So that's kind of what we're talking about. Now, I say this as a history teacher, right? That some people want me to teach United States history. That makes me feel more like a preacher than an educator. And you can see this when people freak the hell out over critical race theory. So JP, has the critical race theory boogeyman came after you yet? Um, Not me personally, but uh, it has come to my community. There was a... Oh, yeah. If I ever see this parent in the community, I, I, I might yell some some things at them for how stupid they are. They, I mean, they made it oh, to wow. Fox News. Like, 
that big of a deal. And the thing was that our school district tried to do an equity study to see where they were as far as um, how they're doing with, you know, managing diversity and making people feel included and stuff like that. And they spent, you know, $80,000 on it during COVID times and people were losing their damn mind. I think I could have done it for 10 based on just looking around like we value people that are able to do things. If you're white, that's cool. And, you know, Christian values. Boom. Got it. And I mean, two page report, but this how it was they were doing a survey and or not a survey but like they were asking kids questions and like trying to get the most unbiased opinions from these kids on their answers and so it was all over zoom and stuff like that and then one kid was saying didn't understand the question about gender uh-huh and and the teachers like the kids like can i get my mom to oh, help me with this no. and, the, and the teacher's like no, or the person doing the, I wouldn't say it was the teacher. I would say it's the person doing the assessment. You know, it's like, well, can you just answer the question to the best of your ability and, like, prefer your mom not to come Right, because you don't want somebody to come in and kind of tamper with, like, the data that you're working with, right? Correct. And they they don't understand how, I guess, um, surveys how work. How science works, basically. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's a, another issue. But, um, so, and then they just turned that into a big thing and it was all critical race theory that they want to teach us. I'm like, like, but those things did happen and no one's like, no one's teaching your kids. Like, yeah, no, like I say this as a teacher of like, I never heard of critical race theory until it became the boogeyman that it was. And then what, cause I'm like, what the (laughs) hell is this? And I'm like, oh, it's just that you guys don't want me to teach the bad things about us history. That's it. You don't want me to go, right. or you, yeah. if I do go over, it's like slavery happened, but then George Washington ended all, or I'm sorry, not George Washington, Abraham Lincoln ended all racism when slavery was ended or, or this or that. And it's like, that's, that's not, that's not history. That's, that's no. me. That, like, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's me being like a preacher, right? Right. Yeah. And Abraham Lincoln was happy to, you know, like he, like from the get go was like, I'm going to sign the Emancipation Proclamation before the Civil War even started. I mean, it was more of a threat of like, hey, come back and maybe we can talk about the slave mm-hmm. issue and maybe you guys can keep your slave. And if you don't come back by this day and they're like, the South yeah. is like, screw you. SEC! I'm, I know. I, yeah. SEC. 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 <laughs> it just means more here. Auburn hasn't played anybody, yeah. Paul. I just imagine every, yeah. every Southerner just sounds like some sort of a uh, Caller to the Paul Feinberg show, or Feinbaum show. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. For the most part. I mean, but then again, that's know, my Yankee bias in me. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But I also like using that voice too. It's a fun voice to do. It's a fun voice. To it do. is. When it, there's a coffee shop in our town, and it's called uh, Shooters, but I call it Scooters. I'm like, let's go to Scooters. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I like making like I like also doing that every now and again here in Mexico. Like I'll I'll play out with different accents, uh, like American accents, mm-hmm. and then they'll just look at me like you're speaking another language to me, buddy. I can't un- like especially when I break out the Minnesotan one. Like oh yeah, you don't say there, eh? Yeah, and they'll just be yeah. like, what like what did you just get hit in the head? Are you all right? <laughs> That's usually what most people here in Mexico are worried about me when I speak in the Minnesotan accent is. 
Oh, he might be suffering head damage. Aren't you going to ask me in real life from talking? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, like, it's, like, like I said, like, that's the thing about when we look at uh, critical race theory, right? It, it's taught at graduate mm-hmm. level, right? I cannot teach this to middle schools. Like, literally, they will not be able to comprehend. Right. And, again, this tradition that the founding fathers, right, are these men who have great ideals that broke away from mm-hmm. Great Britain for liberty. But in reality, these men just wanted to have more control over the colonies and create power mm-hmm. for themselves. And I'm not necessarily saying that as, I'm not necessarily even saying that so much as a bad thing, because if you look at history, that's just what people do, right? It's like, well, why do I got to take orders from this guy when I can just do mm-hmm. my own thing? And then I become in charge of all yeah, this Yeah, it definitely seems that, like the more you kind of dig into American history and the early founding of it, it seems like the greatest like multi-level uh company scheme pulled off ever oh yes like if we want to get into the reasons of this the there were pretty much um three reasons one they didn't want to pay higher taxes to the british right because this was after the seven years war also known as the french and indian Mm -hmm. war you know basically the british said to their colonies like hey you got to pay your fair share for this conflict because we got you canada now you have canada because of us the second reason is, is that Ameri- or I guess American colonists, right, or these British colonists, because they, because again, they didn't view themselves mm-hmm. as Americans, right? They're like, we're British, right? right? They wanted to go past the Appalachian Mountains because of land ownership, but the British were like, hey guys, you can't keep breaking your treaties with the indigenous people here. That's not right. cool. And then the third reason was, is to maintain slavery, because even though slavery was not outlawed in Great Britain, I believe until 1810, the people were already kind of starting to see the tide go against slavery in Great Britain. And they're like, no, 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 no. We still want mm-hmm. this thing here. And we still want to basically, in other words, don't tell us what to do. SEC, uh, they ain't played anybody, Paul. <laughs> Very true. I mean, again, like I'm not, I might be viewed as by some, like as some sort of like anti-American villain by bringing up this is what it was. But in reality, I kind of don't care if this is what, of what it was right like i'm not trying to do this to like i hear this a lot of uh, and i don't know if you've heard this from you know your from that parent that was in you know who made it to the national news and stuff but like you're they're indoctrinating children right like oh you they can do this and i can tell you as a teacher if there was a and i've i've, I've mentioned this on another on another podcast if there's a way for me to indoctrinate your children it wouldn't be to turn them into like some sort of militant Marxist to try and overthrow the government, it would be for them to turn their goddamn work on time. That's how I would, that's how I would uh, uh, brainwash them is to do their shit on time and to do it well, <laughs> to make my life like, easier. sound uh, like the kids from uh, Talladega Night. Like, I told that teacher bitch to fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> then we went down to the, we, the bridge and we threw a bunch of grandpa's chips war medals off of it. <laughs> yeah that's what children are like that's what people don't mm. understand is that they're much more like feral animals that are just screaming around shouting out mm-hmm. attica attica even though they don't know what it means then they are of like oh my child wouldn't do anything wrong and you're here corrupting their minds and i'm like no i just want them to just lay off their phones for a little bit and turn right. in their homework that's all it is read a book <laughs> read a book just read a book it's not that hard. Read a book. <laughs> yeah, but that's the point. It's like, I, I can speak for myself and I can speak as for many probably other teachers. We don't care. We just want the people to learn and mm-hmm. to know stuff. 
So JP, I guess since you know you are a um, you know you are a parent, how would you feel of how this type of idea to teaching your children, right? Of 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 teaching your child uncomfortable truths, but let it, I mean obviously there's a way to teach it, and not to teach it. It's not like somebody's going up to your to your daughters and you know screaming at them to be like, be ashamed of being what you own slaves, right? Like there's not obviously that's not the way to go right. about it. And any teacher who does go about that way should not be around children. They sound like a right. psychopath. I agree. But in your opinion, kind of as a parent, is it better to teach kid on children uncomfortable truths that are, in a way, maybe, ne- or I would say, necessary for them to get a fuller picture of how the world works, or should we just coddle them and just kind of let them figure it out on their own when they're old? I would say, I mean, I'm a huge fan of teaching the uncomfortable truths. I'm looking forward to when my daughters get into some of the heavier social study topics like I, you know anytime they do talk about social studies i ask you know well, what's your understanding of this what's your understanding of that and like i'm like well that's not really how that happened and i have no no problem like talking about it. i mean same thing with like the revolutionary war it's just like well we were upset because they had to pay taxes I'm like no 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 a few rich white guys were very upset that they had to pay higher taxes and so they convinced other white guys to fight for them and and people that the taxes really weren't affecting them and could care less and they got they got them to fight that's that's how that happened so i, I i'm a full supporter of that and I, my biggest fear is like just watching just kind of watching the school board because like there is and it's not just my community but like all other communities too like the strong interests of people who want to keep the status quo of teaching like yeah the pilgrims came over the Indians made them dinner. They became friends, and then, and then the Indians gave us all this land, and they decided to put themselves on reservations, and everyone had a good time. Yeah, that's oh boy. Well, speaking of kind of uncomfortable truths, we're going to switch to ads because, as we all know, nothing is more uncomfortable than coming to the realization about how capitalism is slowly killing us all. all right, anyways, here's ads. back so to kind of uh finish up this episode i want us to look at why this type of cult of tradition is damaging if you kind of want to learn more about this stuff there's a great youtube video called the cult of tradition by renegade cut you know basically kind of like more information of why some of the founding fathers were bad people or if you want a good book to read with a more accurate depiction of u.s history i recommend a people's history of the united states by howard zinn but to kind of sum up some of the real damaging things here about culture tradition. First, it prevents us from uh, critical thinking and further study by basically saying the past is the past and it shouldn't change. It neglects new discoveries made by historians. And this is something that I know you hear a lot sometimes from parents, you know, kind of as a teacher, right? Sometimes I'll hear from parents like, well, why are you teaching this new history? I'm like, it's, it's not new. It's just different perspectives of stuff because when we look at the idea of truth there's more than one there's more than one way of looking at it and that's the whole point of Roshamon if you've seen that movie mm-hmm. it's like there's more than one truth out there and to get a fuller picture we need to look at 
all of the truths, all of the angles, in order for us to realize why people are people and why mm -hmm. we do things. Second, it hides how, how the past influences today. By basically making history a fairy tale, we cannot see how actions in the past affect us today. Like kind of like what you were mentioning, JP, about how that, like, I don't know, like when you went through, um, you know, like middle school and high school, obviously some of the stuff in elementary school probably is a little bit more fuzzy, but how were you taught, you know, U.S. history? Um, did you go over anything that was really uncomfortable at all, or was it pretty much just glossy? I would say lives? probably eighth grade. I had a really good history teacher uh, in middle school, and she was Native American, so we we got a different perspective on things that I hadn't really quite seen or uh, knew up to that point, and it really drew my interest into history, and I wanted to be a history, or do something in history, but I didn't see a future in it. Mm -hmm. Well, dad joke there, but there's not much of one <laughs> speaking as a as somebody who studied history. That's why I'm doing a podcast. And then I just really enjoyed it. And um, the only AP class I took in high school was history, and that's where I read Howard Zinn's People of the History of the United States. Oh, okay. So you're yeah, familiar with a, it? It's a great book. Mm -hmm. and I think it. I mean, it does a really good job of pointing out that there there's a different perspective that than what it's written like no one ever chooses to look at like the side of the people that were on the the losing end i guess if you would look at it in that sense of you know, history standpoint and to quote kind of howard's end but like in that book or his premise of it but that there was more than just one person's opinion like thinking of how to do things and like whether it was right or wrong because it could have turned out either way i mean as far as like where we what what avenues we went down had something changed in history mm -hmm. and that's the thing that i know also for myself of liking howard zinn's work is not only does it also present it like you said from like the the loser mm -hmm. side right but it also looks into dismissing the idea of what is taught to i think for I think within the baby boomer generation and even in for Gen X. And so not, maybe not so much for the millennials. We might, you know, might've gotten out of this. Uh, the Like if you're an earlier millennial, maybe you didn't get out of this, but I think if you're a later millennial didn't definitely not for Gen Z is that it breaks in the idea of what is known as great man history, which is like Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves himself. He did it. And it's done to simplify things mm -hmm. in a way. And like I said, it's kind of almost made to a fairy tale where it's like, don't worry about all this other stuff. Here's the story, right? Here's how it happened. Here's all the right. stuff. Right. Well, it's just on this level that you, you can't question them or challenge that thinking because exactly these people, like at least the way it was presented to me, or the way that it seems, the way that like, and I still kind of find myself thinking of like the founding fathers, Abraham Lincoln, anyone that has made like great historical side, were like highly intelligent people that had the best they had everyone else's best interests and heart when you when you look at it it really isn't that at all and that they're human beings it's like going to the doctor like you mm -hmm. they went to med school they're a doctor they got to be pretty smart they know what they're talking about but there's plenty <laughs> of times where doctors have messed up or made mistakes and but no one ever oh, yeah. calls like you can't challenge them on that and you know and they come in with that like air of arrogance that like oh i'm a doctor Right. And who are you to question this great person? Right. It's like, who are you to challenge us? And 
I think it's definitely something that like, no, I wouldn't say necessarily needed, but it was definitely something that was a bigger thing during the cold war, right? Which was, mm-hmm. we're the best. We did this, da da da. Just take it and move on. Like here, here's this, right? And again, I also kind of understand it again from a teaching perspective because again, like I said, if I could, if I could indoctrinate your kids, it would just sit down, quit throwing things at me, and just <laughs> turn in your work, right? Like I understand the need of a simplified way of looking at things, but again, like I know at least kind of like speaking to my wife, somebody who hated history until basically she got into college, where she had somebody presented it to her of like, oh, so this is what history is. It's not just like this guy did this thing and then, you know, here's what happened next, right? Yeah. It's way more interesting when you realize like, oh, no, 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 it's way more complicated and messier than this. Yeah, it's 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 good when you have a really good storyteller teaching history and be able to connect things and it's not just remembering dates and like events. It's, it's like, how does this all tie together? Exactly. Third, it makes also the constitution look like this perfect document that doesn't need to change, um, which I would disagree with because in the constitution, it says that certain people are three fifths of people. So that right there should let us know that this is not a perfect document. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but the constitution has had extra amendments added to it. Mm-hmm. So it kind of also lets us know that, Hey, Maybe we shouldn't just take all of our beliefs from some guys who lived in the mid to late 1700s. Yeah, or people that can't figure out, I mean, if they were brought back alive today with the same thinking, would they be able to manage an iPhone? But you're going to let them write write laws that we're going to base our whole government off of. I, I just actually imagine that if you brought some of the founding fathers back from time to here, you would just have like somebody like Thomas Jefferson just pointing out, screaming his head off of just the thought of just black people just walking around by themselves. And just like, ah, ah, just like pointing and just losing his damn mind. Like just the idea of it just being like, yeah, here's, here's, a, here's a little square that contains all of world's knowledge. Here you go, buddy. Yeah. Boom. Let me show you this video of uh... – your uh, your uh, crystal flute, <laughs> and and as we all know, if we gave any founding father of the internet, uh, Benjamin Franklin would just develop the worst porn addiction. Oh, yeah. He would just be like, "I'm not leaving my room ever." <laughs> he would get on Tinder and just be like, "Yeah, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. I'm I'm gonna go. I'm is I'm just gonna go find some sex workers and hang out with them. Right. This thing is awesome." Yeah, like what? You don't have to pay them. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. I'll um, give you one of those horseless carriages. I think they're called Ubers. Goobers? A Goober. Yep. And then lastly, when we look at this uh, type of history, it glorifies rich white men. And this is why, again, like I said, up until recently, most U.S. history classes only focused on that. Or if you did learn about somebody who uh, wasn't a rich white man, it would usually be some little blurb on the side of the text. Or again, if it was somebody like Martin Luther King Jr., where like, you're seeing this now with certain conservatives, right? When when Martin Luther King Jr. Day rolls around and they're like, that's not what MLK would want. That's not what he would want. And I'm like, you're right, because if you actually look at what he says, he's not only advocating for this, but he's also advocating for, you know, socialism. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why the FBI was sending him death threats. And we're like, kill yourself. 
Right. Yeah. It's because he was about like you know taking down capitalism. Right. Yeah. It's like all right, we'll give black people the right to do things in the south and go to school, but what you're going to unite all the black and uh, white poor people together? Oh no 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 no. All right, and. I mean, it's not just how we learn about the past, but it's also how, he, but also when we look at tradition, it can also be used to hurt people today. From the Human Rights Watch, quote, but unfortunately, tradition is indeed often used to justify discrimination and, and crackdowns on rights and is easily hijacked by nations determined to flout the rights of particular groups and to quash broader social, political, and legal freedoms. In such environments, tradition subordinates human rights. And usually when we look at these traditions, it can range from either criminalizing homosexuality to other non-cisgender normative behavior, right? Like, you know, this can range from like, you know, a woman not wanting to wear a dress outside to not wanting to be uh, with the, accompanied by a man in public to female genital mutilation. Like, well, and we can even see some of this in a way to the United States now where you're starting to see where it's like, well... When you look into some of these traditions that we look at, right, like, well, we don't necessarily need the Voting Rights Act anymore. Or, no, 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 we don't necessarily need to, you know, guarantee access to uh, birth control and to abortions and stuff. We're starting to see some of this regressive pull in here because, again, it's this idea of, like, well, it's tradition. I don't know about you, JP, but, again, it drives me up the wall where it's, like, there's this one conservative commenter who I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to give him any clout, but he's like, why don't we go back to the age of just marrying 16 year olds? Right. Cause that's when they're the most fertile. And it's like, Jesus Christ, dude, stop saying the quiet part out loud. You're creeping out the rest of the conservatives here. It's right. that type of level of traditionalism that it's like, so where does it end? Right. Like that's the thing for me where traditionalism, I don't know about you, but mm -hmm. for me, like, where does it end? Does it end at, you know, does it end in 1980, right? Does it end in the 70s? Like, where does it end? I don't know. What do you think, JP? I mean, it's 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 definitely got to change with the times, and like, and like, it depends on the tradition that, like, you know, your your college football tradition. Like, cool, keep doing that. But yeah. if it's something that's like actively harming people or affecting the outcourse, the, the outcome of like political issues or the way that the, the governments were in or quieting voices like in this country where like millions of votes aren't taken into consideration because someone got the magic number of electoral votes. Um, but yet, you know, millions of people are like, no, we, we don't want that. And it, it's hard for us to, especially as the United States, you know, the, the great democracy spreader to well, it's, it's funny to me, too, of like when the United States, even here, like in Latin America, right, like a good chunk of Latin American countries kind of based their governance off the United States, right? Or they took or they use it as like a as a framework. But again, here, like in pretty much everywhere else around the world, they're like, hey, you guys want the Electoral College? Mm -hmm. No, that makes that makes fuck all sense. Right. <laughs> that makes no sense. We'll just we'll just do math and figure yeah. out, oh, this person has more votes than that person. OK, this person is the winner. Because it's it's ba it's it's like fourth grade edition, right? right? It's not that hard. 
no, no, it's not. And then, like, you find out, like, oh, the electors don't have to cast their vote for the Mm -hmm. person that won. That was the one nice thing about, um, I will say, about the Trump presidency from a history teacher's perspective is that a lot of people learned a lot about U.S. history and how U.S. government works very quickly within those four years because they were like, wait, this isn't what we do? And, like, no, 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 it's just, it was just a suggestion for, like, the past 200 years. But this guy doesn't want to follow it, so... You know, maybe we should have a law that enforces this this suggestion that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, oh, yes. definitely tell a lot. Yes. Of, like I said, there's also that other part. Again, I know I'm ranting a lot of being a history teacher, but I got to get this out here. It's also that other part of the history teacher where people are like, "You guys don't teach us about real stuff. Right? You don't teach us things that we're going to need in this world." I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm, I'm like, we're teaching you stuff. You're just, mm-hmm. you're just not paying attention." They're just too busy on your iPhones. <laughs> like, and again, that's not just, and I say that of like using cell phones now, but it's not just phones. It was, you know, it's a, like, it was passing notes before this, right? Like it's all, again, like, again, somebody who studies history, time is just a flat mm-hmm. circle. <laughs> Nothing really much changes. All right. But anyways, um, continuing right. with, um, with kind of how things are today, again, from the Human Rights Watch, quote, but too often traditional values are corrupted, serving as a handy tool for governments in the business of repression. For Russia, which spearheaded the Human Rights Council resolu- uh, resolution, the insertion of traditional values into the realm of human rights comes amid intensifying government repression of civil, li- of civil society and the media and is part a concerted effort to roll back the gains made by women and LGBT people. So again, like, we, we see it in the United States, right? Like, I know we're kind of getting towards the end of our episode, and I don't want us to feel like we're just talking in circles, but, like, do you see how, like, I don't know about you, JP, but, like, maybe it's because I spend a little bit more time of my life online, but do you ever interact with people... You know, and again, it's it's hard for me to do this because I'm not in the U.S. Where people are like, you know, what we need to do, we need to reject modernity and embrace tradition, right? We need to, we need if we don't need to do things what we do now. We need to go back to like you know the 1950s or the 1980s or whatever time period. It's like that's when we were at our peak. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I see that. I mean, I could. I was actually just thinking about this the other day, like. As being a white, straight, Christian male, like, I understand. It was a pretty sweet time for us. The 1950s, like, I mean, right, I, yeah, I actually, I work, I'm a social worker, and I was working, and I'm on the equity and diversity board, and we were talking about that, and, like, the ladies are all like, <laughs> I don't understand why it was such a uh, yeah. time back then. I could drive. I could drive drunk all the time and do whatever I wanted. It was fantastic. Right. (laughs) And if you, as a woman, said anything, I could slap you, and then no one would even believe you because you shouldn't have been talking to a man like that. And then I would take all that money. That's the thing that is the craziest thing for me. People don't realize that women did not have their own financial independence until the 1970s. Like that was, and then when we saw that, that's when divorces skyrocketed because it wasn't because of some sort of moral decay. It was like, no, no, no. I don't have to be tied towards this abusive prick anymore. I can leave his ass. Exactly. Yeah. 
but no, I mean, it's like, I was thinking about it. Like, I guess I enjoyed the, the fact that like the ideal of the 1950s, as far as like, if everyone had the opportunity to the things that people had at that time, as far as like, you could support your family off of a one family income if you wanted to, like if people didn't want someone wanted to stay at home and work, like there seemed to be a lot more cohesiveness with the community. And I understand that it was, you know, primarily Christian, but, and, you know, everyone went to church and there was, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I think that we have like this, we idolize it way more than it actually was at that time. It like in my head, like I have like this, like really just, even though I'd never lived in the 1950s, like I enjoy like the ideal of it as far as just like having, you know, like an income where I can take my family on an annual vacation and not have to stress about things. I have a house I can afford, a car I can afford and things like that. Like that all seems really great. Yes. I would like to get back to that, but without the racist shit or the sexist shit or the homophobic shit. Yeah. Cause like whenever like, I hear people talk about the 1950s, there's two things that are brought stuff. to me. Number one, like you mentioned about the economic stuff, uh, the reason why that was there was because of huge tax rates on the rich and a lot of that wealth being redistributed because in the early stages of the Cold War, you know, like the Eisenhower administration and the um, Truman administration of the late 1940s, early 1950s, they both realized like, hey, we have to make sure that like the people here are happy because if they're not, we're not going to make out of this. Like it's, it's not going to work out for us. So they had to have these types of tax rates for the rich that made that type of uh, living sustainable. And then we saw that starting to roll back in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan got in. And that's where we're at to this situation today. And the second thing is, is that I love looking at like, not just media at the time of the 1950s, but like, even certain things around like the 1950s that came out, it's like, it wasn't perfect. Like you realize in uh, the musical, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, West Side Story. There it is. Yeah. You know, in that musical, like there's a gang rape that happens, right? Like it's implied that there's, a, like you don't obviously see it on stage or in the movie, right? But it's implied or like, there's also one character who's like, like what's her role in the gang? And it's like, Oh, she's like, she's like this uh, girl who's like trying to be like, I want to be in the gang and this and that. And the guys won't let her. It's like, because they use her as a sex slave or not really a sex slave, but it's like, wait, she's here. Cause we're all take turns banging her. That's what we do. It's 1950s. Or like, again, like even looking at the movie Grease, right. Where it's like, so what was life like in the back of the 1950s? Like they were trying to bang each other, right. There's a guy there who's like, like, did she put up a fight? Did you punch her in the back of the head and knock her unconscious and have your way with her in that song? And you're like, Jesus Christ, what is this? Right? Like it wasn't it wasn't this golden age of prosperity that people thought it was. It's 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 the economic security that we want. And like right. in every life's problem, just blame Ronald Reagan because he's pretty much the root cause of so much shady shit that's happening. Or so much of the terrible shit that's happening. You know, I think to leave off on this episode, um right. I think really what we need to do as a society is this, right? What we need to do is we need to question ourselves. Are my cherished traditions worth preserving if they harm people in the present? That's the way I look at it. And you can look at this too of like, um, like I can think of like people tearing down statues. Like I think this is a good thing to wrap up on because when you look at people when they tear down statues, it's like, well, you need to have that statue. Like, is it hurting you if the statue is gone? Is it gonna, but is it gonna hurt people to say like, yeah, there's that guy who is a notorious slaveholder and I have to be reminded every day that, you know, 
I'm a second class citizen in this country because I have to see that. Is it worth, per- like basically it's kind of this, right? We call ourselves this Christian nation, right? And is it the golden rule to basically do unto others as we would mm-hmm. not do to ourselves? And it's like, well, would you want to be hurt? Would you want to do this? Then why aren't you doing this towards other people? Right? I don't know. What do you think, JP? Right. Well, I think it's just like having things made more easy for people. It's kind of like the whole debate or the, the argument when like towns would set up like Christmas festivals and like that was a tradition. And the, you know, the, the town would pay for it or it would come out of the city budget and stuff like that. Yeah. But then other people are like, well, what about my, my traditions? Why aren't you celebrating my tradition? And then that opened the door for lawsuits and, you know, people are complaining about that. Instead of like people organizing together and just saying, all right, well, mm-hmm. we want to do this. The city won't do like they won't fund it, but they said that we can, you know, working out something, we can rent the land, but we have to put the stuff up to make you know, our town look like this. And they, but then everyone else gets that fair opportunity to do so. They just can they just go to complain about it because you're not making Christmas accessible. You're, you're starting the war on Christmas. Like, no, it's, you're used to having something done for you. You're used to having someone do something for you that you enjoy. And now that it's not being done for you the way that you want to, you don't want to take that extra step to make sure that tradition carries on. Exactly. And that's kind of, like, I think the perfect way to encapsulate all of this is that when it comes to tradition, it's that idea of like, like, I want this catered to me and only me. And it's like, yeah, but what if we do this? Cause it's going to help out your neighbor. Fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. It's not like Jesus said anything about helping your neighbor. <laughs> so, um, JP, do you have anything to plug at all? Right, nothing at all. <laughs> no, nothing else is so, out of my head. I would no, like to plug no, this podcast. You can funny. find us at our website where you can find all of our previous episodes and a list of sources that we use to make these episodes. And you can also find us on Twitter at SPolitique with a K podcast. And that is it for today's episode. I will see you all. Well, I can't actually see you. I don't know why I said that. It's an audio medium. But anyways, you all get what I'm saying. See see y'all later and y'all come back now, you hear?